Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study on the disciplines of the believer's life, Pastor Murphy showed us that in order for the believer to develop godliness, he must exercise himself in several Christian disciplines. Today we'll review the introductory material and then begin to study the Christian discipline of meditation. Turn with me, please, to the book of First uh, Timothy. First Timothy. For those of you who might be visiting, uh, who have not been coming to our church for any length of time, the subject that I've been dealing with on Sunday mornings for the past four Sunday mornings that I've preached, that I'm dealing with the whole subject of godliness. How does a believer become more godly? And the text I'm using is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Follow with me, please. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And reading from verse number 7 to verse number 8. Paul says to the young man, Timothy, his understudy, his troubleshooter, his protege, whatever term you might think appropriate. But he's seeing him in his last closing years. And Paul is uh, giving information and encouraging him and trying to uh, help him to focus on what should be a priority in terms of ministry and in terms of his life. And notice what he says to him in verse number 7 and verse number 8. He says, but refuse profane and all wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of this life that now is, and of that which is to come. That's the text, and I want to return to this text today, but I want to deal with one of those particular disciplines that we need to get engaged in as believers. Uh, And I want to talk about the topic of meditation. This is one of the main disciplines that the Christian needs to get back to. Uh, by a show of hands, if you're not embarrassed, how many people really spend some time meditating every day or every week? Okay. All right. See, the vast majority of us don't do it. And you're being honest. And I'm not here to criticize you for not doing it. But I'm here to say to you that you will never become godly. You'll never, ever become more godly in your life until this becomes a practice in your life. We'll deal with that shortly. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we, we thank you for those who are here this morning. We thank you for visitors. We pray for believers. And we ask as we center our thoughts around your word uh, that this vital discipline uh, would become once again a part of the life of the believers in the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, we all want to be more godly. We all want to be more Christ-like. The problem we have today is that we have adopted the philosophy of impotence. We don't want to exert any effort. We don't want to be uh, anything that is arduous to to bother us. Uh, It becomes a burden. What we want is somehow a funnel to come from heaven and pour godliness into our lives. We don't want to do anything. We just want to wait on God and let God do everything. 
Lord, while we might be saved by grace, we will never become godly by just waiting and uh, trusting grace. There are things that we must do. We've got to work at godliness. It requires human effort. Uh, you have already given, given us the resident teacher within the resident power of the Holy Spirit. But it has to be a cooperative effort between the Spirit of God within us and human effort. Uh, we've got to do something. We've got to engage in certain biblical practices. If we're ever going to arrive at a higher state of godliness in our lives. It's not going to be a second blessing that we will somehow miraculously receive. As Paul tells Timothy, we must exercise ourselves unto godliness. We must discipline ourselves unto godliness. This is the hardest lesson to get across to your people. Because we have been told in many different ways that we just let go and let God do everything. And the concept that it requires effort on our part falls into disfavor with Christians who have been misinformed on this subject and consequently uh, we have this failure in the church where there is such a conspicuous lack of godliness among the people and then we wonder why it's not for lack of desire it's just for lack of effort and commitment change this process in this church Lord this year Help that we would all move towards one focus, one direction. And that is to become more godly in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that if we were to do that, we would discover that the church itself, the corporate body itself, would exhibit a higher state of godliness uh, within this community. So help us this morning as we work our way through this matter. As we try to extract from scripture the biblical help that would assist us in our pursuit. And then Lord, to uh, harness our wills and seek your power to bring our wills into subjection to scripture. You know, that we may be obedient to you in this matter. Help Lord this morning, give me the wisdom, give me the ability, give me the words, they give me the fluency, uh, give me the the heart, the desire, the passion. Uh, Lord, not for my sake or for the sake of self-glory, but that I may do justice to your word. And that when your people leave here, their minds and their hearts would have been challenged to take up the responsibility of the pursuit of godliness. Help now, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. You know, while I'm dealing with this subject of, of godliness, I don't think it is, should be necessary for any pastor, whether myself or any other pastor, to persuade uh, Christians that the greatest ambition of the Christian life should be to pursue a life of godliness. I think you would agree with me that godliness should be the drive in our lives. It should be the motivation in our lives. Every Christian should have one passion, one desire, and one drive. And that is to become more godly. Look, I want to remind you that the whole Christian life is about eventually going to meet God. That's what it's about. 
As a matter of fact, there's an interesting verse in the Gospel of John where it says, And this is eternal life, to know thee, Father, and Jesus Christ. In other words, the, the, the substance and the essence of the quality of life called eternal life is to know God. That is what eternal life... Now, I know we think of eternal life in terms of escaping from hell. And that's our problem. See, that's our problem. What God is trying to do is to reduplicate himself in the lives of humanity. To make us like himself. See, that's what it's all about. And that is why godliness is so central uh, to the Christian life. Uh, To know God better... To become more godlike in our thinking, in our actions, in our emotions, in our feelings, should be the very apex of spirituality and what we may call Christian maturity. Yes. That's how you measure maturity. How godly am I? That's the standard. Now, I've said this before and I like to say it again that God measures your progress by one standard only. The standard by which God measures your progress is how much more you are like Christ today than you were yesterday. That's the standard. Christ-likeness. There is no other standard by which God measures you in terms of, is this believer growing? Is this believer maturing? The one standard is, does he look more like Christ today than he looked last week? That's why godliness should be so central to us. Now, I want to point out to you that every one of us have two choices in life when it comes to this whole matter of whether or not we are conformed. You can't help it that you are being conformed. And there are only two choices as to how you are going to be conformed. There are only two molds that are shaping your life and my life. Let me make it very simple for you. You as a Christian are either being conformed to this world. That's why Paul says in in, in Romans, be not conformed to this world. So you're either being conformed to this world or you're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. What I'm saying to you is every single day of your life, you're either becoming more worldly or you're becoming more godly, more Christ-like. There is no such thing as being static as a Christian. You're being shaped every single day. And the big question, of course, has to do with uh, what are you being shaped and conformed to? It is interesting that when the Apostle Paul uh, in the book of Romans is listing the five steps of uh, our redemption, our salvation, that Paul tells us that there are five steps that God takes. First of all, there's foreknowledge. Then there is predestination. Paul said that whom he foreknow, he predestinated. So the one he has predestinated to what? To hell? To heaven? No, you are predestinated to be conformed to the image of Christ. That is what salvation is all about. And then whom he has predestined, he called. And whom he called, he he justifies. And whom he justifies, he glorifies. Paul gives you those five steps as far as our redemption is concerned. So long before you and I got saved, in God's mind, he had already 
predestinated you to look like one person and one person only. And that's not your mommy or daddy. That's Christ. That's what he's all about. And that is why, as uh, Paul tells Timothy, a young man, I'm writing to you, I'm going off the scene. And remember that I pointed out to you that the world godliness is found in two main books in the Bible. The book of Second Peter and the book of First and Second Timothy. The, two, the two, three last books written. The two last books written by Paul and the last book written by, by Peter. It's significant that you don't find it in the other books. And I pointed out to you that when a man gets old and he knows he's going off the scene, certain things crystallizes in his mind as to what is really important. And as far as Paul is concerned, what he saw as really important being in the ministry for so long, passing on information to another younger brother. He's saying, listen, Timothy, I've been around a long time, going off the scene. I'm the aged Paul, the time of my departure is at hand. See? And I want to say to you what I think is important. I've learned this. Exercise yourself unto godliness. That's what really matters. Sister Rhoda um, told me yesterday, I forgot what time I had just, maybe she got up, she, uh, she said, uh, she calls me pastor. I don't know what she called me pastor. <laughs> she just called me pastor. It's a Pastor Murphy. One of my um, colleagues at the state college just dropped dead. Just dropped dead. And, uh, you know, when you hear something like that, and, and then I was talking, uh, somebody coming down, he said, that's happening. I think my son told me that's happening very frequent now. The older you get, you realize how short life is. And I'll tell you what, you become very, very clear in your mind that what really matters for you as a Christian is godliness. And uh, I don't know how much more time I've got. But I will tell you, it is very, very clear to me that I have a lot of regrets. A lot of regrets in my life. And when I say regrets, because they're not bad things that I did. But how I've used my time. The time I've wasted. The hours I've wasted. Being preoccupied with so many other things. I feel so guilty sometimes when I realize I have so little time now to do whatever I got to get done. And then I say, but where have the years gone? And then I ask myself, looking back at life now, what do you really think was important? And I'm so embarrassed that all my insecurities that drove me in a certain direction, and the Lord says to me, would it have been any better if you did anything else? And my answer is that if I'd given you more time, spent more time, and, and, and more things along that line, I'd be a far more happier man because I'm going to meet him shortly. These things become so clear. But when you're young, you don't think about that. You don't think you're going to die. You don't think your time is going to be called. You're so wrapped up in things and this and the next. And then by the time you get the things you think are important, you realize you're leaving them. And then you say, but what's the use? I am saying to you as a church, I don't know how best to say this. We have got as a church to make godliness our goal, our ambition, and our drive. That's what I want for this ministry. And that's what I hope you want as well. Listen, a, a, a godly church, a holy church, is an influential church in any community. Amen. Any community. Amen. And if we want to wield influence in this community, it's not by singing songs. It's not by having a service. Like this. It's the lives of our people yes. that will impact.
this society. Do you know what? Every one of us know that. Every one of us believe that. But the question is this. Are we prepared to become those, that type of a person? And that's where the challenge comes for us as believers. Now I want to say to you, therefore, that those are the choices that we have. And I would say to you, you're either becoming more godly, you're becoming more worldly. And whether you're becoming godly or worldly, it revolves around your motivation and drives and what pushes you as a person. In other words, if you were to ask me, Pastor Murphy, how do I know if I'm becoming more godly or if I'm becoming more worldly? My question is, what motivates you, what pushes you, what drives you? Here's it. I can tell you right now, if you are more worldly than you were before. And here's a very simple thing. Uh, John tells us very clearly that there are only three things that characterize worldliness. What are those? First John chapter 2. What drives? In other words, what drives you determines whether or not you are godly or you're worldly. Listen. If you are a worldly person, or if you've never realized if you're a worldly person, I'll tell you what, I can tell you three things you can find out about yourself if you're worldly. Number one is this. The Bible calls them the lust of the eyes. The things that you see, if that drives you, is that what motivates you? If you are driven by what you see, and you want what you see, I say to you, whether you know it or not, you are worldly. Difficult to to swallow, isn't it? You see the Lexus the guy has got there? And you got a little jalopy and you want the Lexus? And what is driving you until you get the Lexus? You're not satisfied. You're worldly. You see the house there that that guy has, three, four, a three-story bungalow? And you live in a little chattel house? And you want that. And that is what drives you. You're driven to the things you see. You see the guy wearing the Nike shoes and wearing all of this fancy stuff. And that is what drives you. You, you want image. You want a symbol of success. See, And if that is you this morning, I want to say to you, mark it down. You are moving in the direction of worldliness. Number two. You know that if you're worldly, not only by the lust of the eyes, the, the desires of the eyes, what the eye sees. But also by the lust of the flesh. Two areas. Food and sex. If that's what drives you. I want to be a gourmet eater pastor. I like good stuff. I want lobster and I want crab. Right? I tired with chicken and I tired with turkey wings. You know? I, 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 want, I want champagne. I, I, I want... Uh, I want wine. I don't want any of these small beverages. I, I want quality, man. I want the good lifestyle. If you are driven by that, if that's what drives you, listen, there's no question mark at all. You are moving in the direction of worldliness. If sex controls you, all you live for is sex. By the way, I, I, I am learning some things, huh? Maybe because I'm old. <laughs> But I, uh, there's a young man by Brother Robert. Soon as I was coming out, I met this guy with a car, a, a car there. And he had on locks and he stopped me. And he, he real, I think he realized that he had Grace Baptist Church in the church. And the thing. he said, uh, uh, sir, don't, don't think that I'm not a spiritual person because I'm smoking. 
So he, he took his cigarette and he out it. No, serious, out it. And then he said, I got some questions to ask you. And I said, what question are you going to ask me? And he went into his book, he put out a notebook. He said, I've been reading the Bible. And he showed me the verse of scripture, Isaiah, Jeremiah. And he asked me about uh, Joshua, about the sun standing still and so on and so forth. And we got the chat and, uh, chat and so on. And he told me, I, used to, I was in prison. You might know him. He said, I was in prison. I said, what you went to prison for? He said, my, my, uh, my, uh, my, my girlfriend uh, told a lie on me that I boogered my son. And they put me in prison. He was in prison and so on. But I don't know how he got it, but he's out now. But we're we talking about, we start, he said, you know, she told a lie on me. I never did that. I spent time up there and now I'm out. He said, but you know, there was a time when if you talk to me about Jesus, I would chop you up. That's what he told me. I would have chopped you up to tell me about God. But he said, when I was in prison, something happened in prison. The people come and they preach the word. And he told me about some experiences he had in prison. I mean, real, unless he is deliberately lying, he had a supernatural experience in prison. So much so, he told me that the people in prison would ask him to pray for them. But here's the, here's the whole story. I told him, you know what, um, he has a mother, by the way. The thing that kept him out of committing suicide is that he, his mother is a Christian. and would always tell him, listen, nobody will believe God is real. God is real. The last thing he told me that when he got, he went over here by the big church, the Pentecostal church. And he was bawling because he was going to commit suicide. He said, I was bawling and the Christians came among me, around me and, and, and prayed for me and they asked me what I want. And they said, I want prayer. He said, they took me inside and they came around and they prayed about me. And then the pastor said, we're going to collect an offering for this guy. And they collect an offering. He told me, you know what it came to? He told me it came to $3,000. But then he told me he did something. He said, you know what? I turned around and I said to the pastor, I've never given Jesus anything. I want to give Jesus this $3,000. Give back the church the $3,000. He went home and told his wife, his girlfriend, that, and she left him. <laughs> left him. You're so foolish. $3,000 a year, just give it back. She's gone. So he told me, Pastor, you know, he started telling me more scripture verses. I said, listen to me. God wants to do something in your life. He really wants to do something in your life. And I said to him, I promise, I promise him a whole commentary on the whole Bible. I said, I'm going to get this commentary to you. I'm supposed to give it to Robert, but uh, I'm not sure what happened. But I'm still going to give it to him because he's working in the house there. But I told him, I'm going to give you this whole commentary because you now need to study. And then I said, you know what? If you're really serious about God, you've got to deal with the two things that are in your life. I said, uh, he, he told me that with two things in his life. And I'll tell you what he told me. I'm coming to this story here right now. He said, Pastor, there are two things that I have a weakness for. He said there was a one time when I used to smoke like three and four packs of cigarettes a week. He said, I must have at least one cigarette per day. I've cut down a lot about at least one per day. I said, you know, you're cutting short your life by 10 years. You know that. If you're smoking, you're cutting short your life by 10 years. Well, I don't know if he ever knew that, but that's the reality. If you smoke, you're cutting short your life by 10 years. Now, whether that be marijuana or whether that be cigarettes, doesn't matter. You're cutting short your life by, three, by 10 years. And then I said to him, what's your another problem? And this is where he shocked me. He said, Pastor, and I'm telling you what he told me, I must have sex every day. Man, I almost fainted. <laughs> Some of us can barely handle it. <laughs> but here's a young man talking about uh, every day. Now he was very honest with me. I was shocked. I was, I was embarrassed he told me that. Now you know one thing I could tell him? 
The Lord may be speaking to him, but he's a man of the flesh. He's a man of the flesh. That's what is. That's his drive. That's his, his. That's his passion. That's his pursuit. The lust of the eyes, what you see. The lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the drives of the flesh. But then there's something else, is there not? What the Bible calls the pride of life, which has to do with ambition. Which has to do with wanting recognition and applaud, wanting to be famous, wanting to be, have achievement, wanting recognition, wanting to see your name in the papers. Or maybe plastered on a board somewhere. Ambition. Driving you. Driving you. Now that's how you know if you're worldly. There's no magic to this thing. And you can sit here this morning. If you can tell me, Pastor, I'm driven by the lust of what I see, lust of the eyes. I'm driven by the, the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. I'm driven by the pride of life. I want, the, I'm very, I'm, I want, I want recognition. I want fame. If that is your driving force in your life, listen to me, you are moving in the direction of worldliness. I didn't say that. John said it. And that's what you have to face. That has to sink down into your life. Now, in contrast to that, how do I know if I'm moving in the direction of godliness? You want to answer that question? John tells us as well. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is of the world, but not of the Father, but he that doeth what? The will of God. That's how you know if you're moving in the direction of Godliness. You're driven to fulfill what? The will of God. That's how you know. A godly person wants to do God's will. A godly person, the one thing he wants above everything else is what is God's will? And once he ascertains what God's will is, it becomes his passion. That is godliness. That is Christ-likeness. How do I know that? Because that was the driving force in Christ's life himself. If we want to be Christ, we've got to be like him. You know what he says in John chapter 4? I am not come to do my own will but the will of him that sent me. That was the driving passion in the life of Christ. He also said in John chapter 5, uh, five verse 30, I seek not my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And then in John chapter 6, verse 33, he said, uh, I am come not to do my own will, but the will of him. And then in Hebrews chapter 7, lo, in the volume of the book, it's written to me, I come, O God, to do thy will. That was Christ's passion. That was Christ's purpose. That was Christ's ambition. The one thing that regulated everything Christ did was this. Is this God's will? That's how you determine if you are worldly or godly. And a godly Christian is concerned about one thing. He's moving in the direction of God's will. All this concern about God's will. By the way, I don't have time uh, this morning uh, to talk about what God's will is, but the Bible spells out very clearly in the Bible that there are at least five things that is, God, that is God's will. You know that? Or you didn't know that? Who knew that? I can go in your concordance when you go home and check the will of God or the will, God's will, and you see that there are five things that the Bible says is God's will. 
There's no question about that. Some of you, like you're staying in the past, I didn't know that. Some of you know it, but some of you may not be sure what I'm talking about. And this is the will of God. What? That you be sanctified. See? And then Paul goes on to say, let fornication not be mentioned once among you. So purity is God's will for your life. Purity. So no, no young person here, no, no girl, no guy here, no adult. I have to ask the question, should I live a pure life? No husband, no wife here should ask the question, should I run around? The question to that is clearly no, because God's will is your purity. If you're, if you're a young person, you're not married, keep yourself pure. If you're a husband or a wife or a woman who are married, keep yourself within your marriage. You don't go outside your marriage in fornication or adultery. That's against God's will. I can get off on that because you know that's one of my hobby horses. But I will desist from it at this moment in time. Now the point I'm making here is, if we're going to make godliness our ambition, and we are going to, to do it, it means that we're going to have to pursue it and seek it and to seek God. It means that we're going to have to exert personal effort. We are going to have to become a disciplined people. In the words of Paul to Timothy, exercise yourself unto godliness. I have said this repeatedly. The word is gymnasio yourself unto godliness. And we get the word gymnasium. And what Paul is doing, he's taking a word and he's painting a word picture. He is saying to Timothy, the same way an athlete goes into the gym and practices to become excellent, to, to, to become strong, and to develop all those technical skills he needs in whatever discipline. Paul is saying, apply that same form of arduous self-effort to godliness. Exercise. Discipline yourself to godliness. That's what Paul is talking about. So what Paul is saying is that if we are going to become godly, the same level of application of self-discipline that we apply to athleticism or, or games or sports, we got to apply that to godliness. Now, you notice recently, Miguel. Recently, Miguel ran the second fastest 200 in the world. Now that is a significant accomplishment. Don't you think? We got what? Six or seven billion people on the earth. And imagine. W- one man that we know in this church. One fella. One little fella. To use a term. We would say one nobody in terms of what the world would recognize. But here is a guy among us that runs the second fastest 200 in the world. Now here's a question. How did he do that? Well, I know what he did, boy. He went out fetting every night with the girls. And uh, when he felt like practicing, he practiced. And then when he felt like flying home, and then he eat anything he wanted to eat. One day, uh, crab another day, uh, this, the next thing. He, he as much ice cream that he wanted and so on and so forth. Now, if he did that, if he did that, do you think he could ever accomplish what he did? Could never. Not unless he's Superman. But what he realizes is this. He wants to be, he wants to be Usain Bolt eventually. I think that's his goal. They look alike, by the way. They're built alike. You ever notice the two of them? They look, if you see the two of them together, they're almost, only thing he's better looking. Okay. 
But really, he, 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 wants, he really wants to, I think that's what he wants. And I think it is within the realm of possibility that he will. But I want to say to you, he will never accomplish that feat until he disciplines himself daily. Running, running. When he's tired, still run. When he's tired, still run. When it's rain, still run. Discipline. Now here's the problem. We understand that. But when I tell you we've got to do the same thing to become godly, we almost give up immediately. So that's why we don't go anywhere. We go two steps forward today and three steps backward tomorrow. We keep going forward, 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 and backward, 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 backward. Forward, forward. And guess what? We have big wheels going nowhere. And I tell you this. That is the dilemma the modern church finds itself in today. Every church is calling for revival. Every church is calling for some transformational lifestyle. Every church wants God to visit. Every church wants to be different. But I have not met a church who understands that if it's going to happen... The people have got to discipline themselves into godliness. They don't. You know, because we got saved by grace without effort. We want to live by grace without effort too. Listen, we got saved without any human effort. God saved us without our work. But when God saved us, God gave us a power. Call who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within the believer to enable the human weakness to overcome that. That's what it's about. God knew that you can't do it in yourself. See? So what he, he gave you the Spirit of God to, to your weakness, your tiredness, your exhaustion, to push you through the Spirit within you, to empower you to do what you think is impossible. But we must develop the mindset that godliness is not something we can just easily moving to. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God can send a conduit from heaven, a pipe into heaven and just put godliness into your life and you did nothing? That's what we want, as a matter of fact. It requires effort on our part. Now, I have uh, been talking to you on this subject and I've looked at four areas so far. We looked at the different passages of scripture that deal with this matter. Secondly, I talked about the problems that people have who want to pursue godliness. Thirdly, I talk about the perils. Because the danger of a person becoming more godly is, the real danger of that person is becoming very proud. Very, very, very proud. And uh, because he seems to be moving in that direction, others are not moving, he tries to turn up his nose on the other person who's not making the same kind of progress. And things could happen. So there's, there's some perils. We talked about that. And then we talk about the path to it. And this is where Paul helps us, that is, by the process of of discipline. Now, I have mentioned as well that if we are going to become godly and we're going to discipline ourselves, we have to discipline ourselves in five areas. Okay, five areas. We've got to discipline ourselves where we get into the Word regularly. Get into the Word regularly. And don't just read the Word saying, I read my two chapters. And pat yourself on the back. And you don't get one thing out of it. If I were to meet you on the street after you read your two chapters and I ask you, did you do your reading? Yes. What did you learn? Well, can't even remember the chapters you read. But what has happened is that we, we pat ourselves in the back and we commend ourselves because at least we've done what we think the other person is not doing. So we're going to have to somehow spend some time in the Word. Now, I don't have to tell you that the Word is the spiritual food 
that develops the spiritual inner man. Look, you're, you're, can any of you go a week without eating something? Some of you can't go an hour without eating something. <laughs> there are some people who all must be munching. You see them all the time, they're munching something. Munching. They gotta eat, the body needs to be fed. Now, if that is true about the physical man, how are you going to feed the spiritual man? And we'll have to find out how to feel the spiritual person. The Bible tells you how you do that. See? The word. My word is meat. It is drink. And it's an imagery. It's a, it's a picture. It's saying compare physical eating to spiritual eating. The same way you need to eat physical food. You need spiritual food. And here is the spirit. Man shall not live by bread alone. But by what? Every word. See? The natural man lives by the food he eats. The spiritual man should live by the spiritual food he digests. So we need to get into the word. We'll talk about that. Secondly, we talked about prayer. Now, I'm not going to elaborate on prayer because I did a whole series on prayer in this church. Exhaustive series, I thought, on prayer. And I might just highlight some of the main things. about. But then, the matter of fasting. Something I've never done in this church in terms of talking about it. Because I'm not a practitioner of fasting either. And that's where a pastor becomes terribly embarrassed when he has to preach on these topics. Because here I am telling you to do something that I am not doing myself. That's why I said preaching is not about preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself too, you know. Believe you me, the times I get into this pulpit, and when I point to you, my finger is pointing back to me. And I got to be saying, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So it's not just a pastor. Is, look, I am not perfect. I hope you know that. I'm close to, no, just joking. <laughs> far from it, very far from it, very far from it. But the point I'm making here is that we have to deal with topics that make us uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. And one of the things that we're going to have to do is to get into the practice. Now, I'm not, I'm not a legalist. I don't believe that we should fast every Thursday or fast every Wednesday as a church. I think that fasting is a personal thing. And I think you need to know what times you need to fast. I don't have to dictate to you, well, next week we'll be fasting for what? To let the people know, well, you know, the church is fasting. It's a matter that but you need to know how to do it, why to do it, and, and so on and so forth. How to avoid giddiness and all those kind of things. So we're going to have to deal with that. But it's something that once we learn, we're going to ask you to engage in it. We're not going to set a time. There may be a time when we have a real need in this church a real problem in this church that we may have to call the church to fast over this matter. An emergency. A crisis. But ordinarily, it should be part of your normal life. You remember that um, they looked at Jesus and his disciples and said, you know, uh, you know, how come John and his disciples fast and your disciples don't fast? You remember what Jesus told them? Jesus said, as long as the bridegroom is present, my, my people will not fast. But when the bridegroom is removed, then they will fast. So he expected that his people would fast. Now think about that for just a moment. Let me just stay there for just a moment. How long have you been in this church? Don't answer. Think of the amount of years you spent as a Christian and not fasted once. Think about that for just a moment in comparison to what Jesus said. Oh me. Oh me. Thirdly, fourthly, there's a principle of meditation, which I want to deal with this morning. I'll get into that and finish it up tonight, meditation. And the reason I'm taking meditation is because this is something we talk about, but I'm not too sure if we ever get it. And then the other thing is self-examination. Doing a forensic examination of yourself before God. 
periodically, maybe every three months, every six months, every year, getting along with God and allowing God to search you. Really? You know, we can live such shallow lives. Our lives are so superficial, man. It's amazing that we are real. See? But when we get before God and, and God, you know, the Lord has been telling me so many things, so many things recently because I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been crying out to him, really crying out to him to ask him, help me with this, help me with that, help me with this, Lord, help me with that. And he's always throwing back things that I did a long time ago, my thinking, my soul. And I'm saying, God, I, I know that, I know that's the situation, but you know, I'm weak. I'm, you know, I, I keep telling him, he got to keep coming back. Things that I, man, I thought I, I had buried. Long, long time. He now brings that back to me when I'm saying, Lord, help me. Help me, please. Help me to be a more prayerful person. Help me to be a, more, a person that talks to you more frequently. And he's throwing back a lot of things to me. Listen, one of the most uncomfortable things you ever go through in life is when you really want to become godly, you're really going to be disturbed. Totally, your whole life is going to be shaken up. When you get passionate about God, your whole life gets shaken up. And so we'll be dealing with those matters shortly. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us that the problem of meditation is that Christians have actually lost the concept and skill of this Christian discipline. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.